first and foremost, everybody knows that uh, we can't really respond to COVID-19 alone. So everybody knows that how important for us to be connected and how important that partnership is. Welcome to episode 13 of Contain This, brought to you by the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security. I'm Stephanie Williams, Australia's Ambassador for Regional Health Security. Today, I'm launching a special series of podcasts with Indo-Pacific health leaders. I will bring you frank conversations with leaders in the Pacific and Southeast Asia about how they are facing current challenges, making decisions amidst uncertainty, planning ahead while dealing with a current health crisis, and how they as individuals adapt and adjust their leadership style during this large event, that of COVID-19. I begin the series today with Dr. Takeshi Kasai, the Regional Director for the Western Pacific Office of the World Health Organization. The Regional Director guides WHO's role in convening and communicating with partner governments on the health and well-being of 1.9 billion of the world's population, from Fiji in the east to China and Vietnam in the west and Japan to the north. A physician by training, Dr Kasai has been involved in responding to outbreaks and crises, including avian influenza in Hong Kong and Japan, the 1995 Kobe earthquake and the SARS crisis. Dr Kasai has worked for WHO for more than 15 years and was instrumental in developing and implementing the Asia-Pacific Strategy for Emerging Diseases and Public Health Emergencies, which guides member states' ongoing improvements to readiness and response. Dr Kasai, welcome to Contain This. Dr Kasai, you commenced your term as Regional Director in January 2019 and you named health security as one of your three priorities, which also included NCDs and ageing and the health effects of climate change. One year later, the SARS-CoV-2 virus emerges. Can you cast your mind back to early this year to January and talk us through what were some of your initial priorities as SARS-CoV-2 emerged in the world, looking at our region? Yes, uh, Ambassador Williams, uh, the, the four topics you just referred was uh, the topic that we thought is important for us to address as a future agenda. But now that is with us. So I strongly feel that uh, we also have to really prepare for other three agenda. But let me focus on this uh, COVID-19. There are two important tasks uh, for WHO at the regional level to play. Uh, one is actually uh, very obvious, uh, to provide the support to the country who they need our help, but also to connect the countries. We've been helping countries to develop the response plan or um, setting up, establishing the surveillance system or the laboratory diagnosis. We're also helping countries to strengthen their healthcare capacity including the infection prevention control. But for infectious diseases, this virus would not respect the national boundary. So it's so important to continue to connect every country, regardless of uh, development state. You know, even one country has a capacity, if their neighboring is not, no countries are safe. So we've been trying uh, paying attention to those two elements. As a regional director, my role is about uh, making a decision and also try to help the leaders to make a decision. Infectious diseases is actually a series of uh, decision-making, but under the uncertainty. 
And ironically, the more earlier we detect, less information and more uncertainty. But we have to make a decision. And some of those decisions has a very heavy uh, consequence. And again, uh, to make these difficult decisions, uh, we have the method called risk assessment and the uh, risk management. I still remember, it was a, a last meal of 2019. I finished uh, you know, the dinner together with my family and then enjoying, uh, you know, there's a music show in Japan that many people watch as the last program of the end of the year. And then I received information from my deputy saying that there is information about the a cluster of uh, unknown pneumonia in Wuhan, China, related to seafood market. I, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty, but what came up to my mind is that, uh, oh, the next SARS. Actually, after the SARS, uh, WHO has established the diseases surveillance system to monitor those kind of uh, rumors, informations around the world which might uh, potentially uh, pose a threat to international community. So actually, uh, I received uh, information from my deputy, but the WHO headquarters and then also the regional office uh, and also the country office detected this uh, information. And then once uh, we detect this information, all three levels um, initiated the validation of the information and switch on uh, this uh, risk uh, assessment and management uh, uh, cycle. The WHO role is actually defined in this uh, international health regulations. It's a legal framework. It's actually, uh, the, the current one is revised based on uh, this SARS experience. And uh, we're uh, requested to facilitate the information sharing, but also mandated country uh, to uh, share information um, that the outbreak they're experiencing. And so to make that happen, I re repurpose a little bit of uh, uh, programs in China and strengthen our country office China so that we can fulfill that job. And China also uh, trying to uh, share the information. And they have, uh, uh, for example, they have uh, identified a new virus they shared. And then also uh, they share the gene sequence that allowed uh, countries around the world to set up their diagnostic uh, system. And uh, uh, we continue to doing that. But when it comes to the decision-making, again, we follow this uh, international health regulations. Uh, based on the SARS experience, the member states requested to have a more objective and fair and transparent decision-making for the entire world. Uh, we call it emergency committee. The expert around the world uh, already selected before the event. And then from that pool, the expert of the subject matters are called in and assess the situations based on the reports submitted from the member states affected uh, with the, the diseases. And as you know, that uh, the first meeting was organized on 22nd and 23rd, and the emergency committee was divided. But then in the second meeting on the 30th of January, anonymously they concluded to recommend Director General that the current situation warrants the, a public health emergency of international concern. And immediately after that, we really help uh, member states to prioritize and expedite the preparations for preparedness. 
we should not be regret. Uh, we should not regret uh, in the preparation. But again, uh, when actually we make a decision, we have to be very cautious because there is a, a consequence. And therefore, we're continuously uh, doing the risk assessment uh, and then the uh, continuous decision up to today. Thanks, Dr. Kasai. I, this theme of uncertainty, but the absolute necessity to make decisions every day comes through in, in a number of discussions. And, and I'm interested in who, when you looked at the region and as you're in your role as RD, and this daily process of risk assessment and decision-making, who do you bring around you to um, go through that process in the Manila office, for example? Tell me how you broach that uncertainty with different people when you look at the Western Pacific region. Uh, the WHO is, consists of uh, headquarters in Geneva, and then there's six regional office, and then beneath six regional office, we have a country office. In our region, we have uh, 15 country offices, and uh, we have a staff uh, working on this uh, response in each of these uh, three levels. So first and foremost, we connect these three levels. And now the country office, they've been uh, investing or we've been investing uh, for them to connect with their counterpart in the Ministry of Health. And so another connections. And then the investment is not to make a connection just between our country office and then our member states, but helping the central government to be connected to their provincial level and then to the frontline level. So first and, uh, more, first and foremost, uh, important is that uh, we fully utilize this uh, network to uh, access the information uh, on the ground. But then we also have to connect uh, the expert and the partners, because they are the ones also have a lot of uh, uh, information and experience, diverse uh, experience. So try to connect those different groups, depends on the different topic, and then the making uh, decisions. And I'm very impressed, like a communication group, I've never seen these communication groups uh, set up the network, and then the monitoring the people's perception, and then fine-tune their message, and they're also using this network to fight so-called misinformation. Um, we have never experienced this level of uh, um, rumor goes around uh, in during the response. So this is the one example in connecting people. Yeah. Um, and you also have a hugely diverse set of member states in the Western Pacific Regional Office in the region. Can you... Tell us how you brought, you talked about connecting countries, how you did that in the early stages of the pandemic and how you continue to um, bring people together in terms of the leaders of those countries or health leaders. It's uh, first and foremost, everybody knows that uh, uh, we can't really respond to COVID-19 alone. So everybody knows that how important for us to be connected and how important that partnership is. And WHO is uh, providing, I mean, try to make that happen by sharing information and try to come up with a, a one framework where everybody can find the space to contribute uh, in this work so that we can avoid the duplications and also um, increase the effectiveness by coordinating ourselves. But to tell you the truth, saying is easy, but it's not that uh, easy. But this time, I was so impressed by the partnership in the Pacific 
um, there have been already mechanisms to respond to measles, and then they transformed this mechanism to respond to the COVID-19. And I have to really acknowledge uh, Australia is really, really uh, leading are the major partners on this. Australia, New Zealand, South Pacific community, and other UN, everybody's coming together to try to help uh, the Pacific, which impressed me a lot. But we do also have a other type of partnership uh, beyond health sector. For example, like a health financing. Before this COVID-19 occur, uh, we spent one year, uh, as Ambassador mentioned, that uh, we discussed what is important topic for the future, and then we identify four agenda. And to pursue this four agenda, we noted that the, we need a partnership beyond health sector. So we have started those kind of partnership. And during the COVID-19, uh, we've we'll we, been really helped with this prior you know, effort. So we have a regular uh, conference uh, with the uh, health financing groups, such as uh, World Bank, IMF, or ADB, to monitor the uh, impact of the virus, but also the response, and also discussing what kind of uh, uh, you know the impact we have in the health financing. Um, Dr. Kasai, you mentioned um, your first thought back in December last year was throwing your mind back to SARS. And part of the learning lessons is not only as we go during the COVID pandemic, but reflecting on previous um, infectious disease events, of which I know you have had the experience of responding to many over your career. In the front of your mind, did you have any lessons from SARS that you applied immediately to the COVID response, um, say in January or February? Were there anything that you thought back in 2002, looking at the RD of Wipro at the time, um, if I was RD and this happened, this is what I would do. What, what were the things that stood out for you from SARS that were relevant to COVID-19? Mm. Um, let me answer in this way. Um, today is very different to uh, 2000 SARS, uh, 2003 SARS period. The capacity of uh, countries are very much different. They are significantly improved. I already mentioned about the uh, international health regulations revise, but in our regions, uh, you know, t t we also try to develop the strategy called Asia Pacific Strategy for Emerging Diseases to help countries to continue to improve their capacity. Actually, um, I lost uh, uh, my colleague. Uh, during the SARS. And then I also noted that the many of uh, our colleagues in the country had a very similar uh, kind of uh, you know, the incident. And we all committed, committed to continue to uh, improve uh, our capacity. And so there have been a lot of uh, investment and um, we organized annually uh, the meeting to see the past one year progress and then to come up with the actions for us to continue to implement in the coming one year. We just finished recently uh, a special, uh, those kind of meeting, and they confirmed that the, our past investment is really fully utilized uh, in responding to this uh, COVID-19, which made me uh, quite uh, um, you know, happy, I would say, uh, because all our investment uh, is the one that member states is fully utilizing. But in the same time, people really recognize this COVID-19, the scale, magnitude, 
is not like uh, what we've been uh, preparing. So uh, our investment, the system we develop needs to be uh, much more uh, scalable. Uh, one example is that the uh, volume and then the speed of the movement of the goods and people are very different to uh, when we had this SaaS and today. And uh, uh, this, that's the reason why we're seeing so uh, many uh, spread around the world. <clears throat> but we also recognize that if we're going to do the intervention to that point, the impact of that is also uh, significant. We also noted that uh, it's a bit nostalgic, but the 2003, uh, people are getting information from uh, a newspaper or the TV. But now, no way. People are really uh, getting the information from all sorts of information, internet and social media. Not just getting, they can also share those information. That made us a huge challenge, fighting with this uh, misinformation. The rumor spreads much faster than the virus. And that makes us very difficult to communicate the decision we make under the uncertainty. Ironically, this setting made us uh, earlier detection means a less information, and then the, we have to make a decision within the uncertainty. I think that's the, the challenge that the, everybody around the world, the leader is facing, how to communicate this kind of uh, decisions. I, I agree with you in the, the improvement in country capacities for health security over the last 18 years or since SARS has been notable, especially in the Western Pacific region. And some of those experiences were borne out, for example, in Vietnam, et cetera, where investment in health security and previous experience has indeed put many countries in a much better position today than they would have been. And there's a certain extent of um, this, the nature of this pandemic means it's no one can ever be perfectly prepared, just as good as possibly can be at the time. Ambassador Williams, but uh, I have to also uh, mention this. Uh, when we started this uh, Asia-Pacific strategy for emerging diseases, it was again Australia. And you were surprised also Canada and an ADB in Japan. These are the partners who really took uh, SARS-2003 experience seriously and then they uh, supported uh, WHOs to work with the member states to continue to uh, invest. You know, usually the partners, uh, the, the priorities change uh, like every two years, uh, three years. Uh, but I have to acknowledge that Australia uh, is the country continuously paying attention about this uh, health security. And uh, I think I have to really mention this to uh, your uh, listener. Yeah, it's definitely a long-term priority of Australia in the region. Um, I think we're in... You took a very early leadership stance from Wipro in securing access for the Pacific to the first round of GeneXpert COVID cartridges, recognising that there are unique vulnerabilities in the Pacific and that that diagnostic technology was essential. Um, casting your mind forward if and when we get a vaccine, what are you thinking about um, the region access and distribution at this stage in terms of um, from the role of RD? Ambassador Williams, this is a very uh, important question. Um, I had a, a teleconference or the video conference with the uh, health minister in the Pacific. 
everybody mentions about the importance of uh, securing the vaccine for their people, which I totally uh, agree. I think we're tested, we're tested about how we recognize about the vulnerable setting or the vulnerable people, and then work together to protect uh, those uh, people. We see a vaccine as a global uh, goods or global public goods. Um, unless every country is protected, no countries uh, are safe. And therefore, um, WHO, together with the partners, established a mechanism called Access to COVID-19-2 Accelerator. And then one of the four pillars is about vaccine. We call it a COVAX. I understand that Australia is also participating. I thank on behalf of uh, all the member states. This uh, uh, mechanism is a, not just to expedite the development of the vaccine, but it's also to uh, think how to uh, distribute in an equal and a fair manner. And then now, not just a pledge, not just a commitment, we have to translate this into to action. And then from the, you know, the gene expert experience, I learned the people often just fall into very dry statistics formula. What is the country's income level? And then the, they even use the population. No way. If you go to the Pacific, even their uh, income level in the UN statistics is like a middle or even higher upper middle. If you think about the population size, uh, the living cost and then the infrastructure is not as uh, uh, other countries with the same level of the statistics. And uh, we have to really continue to communicate this to the global community, that uh, the reality on the ground. And I'm very happy to uh, share that I've been also uh, having a, a teleconference with the minister outside the uh, Pacific. I also mentioned about this uh, issue to uh, them. And then the plea for them to also, uh, you know, whatever opportunity to uh, share and then the, uh, you know, advocate for us to pay those attention. To. And uh, um, I noted that uh, they're actually doing in their uh, meeting setting. So I think we have to continue to uh, advocate about the uh, vulnerability and the special context. And at the end, we are all tested uh, about the, our empathy or our solidarity, true solidarity in distributing uh, this uh, global public goods. Dr. Kasai, I want to finish with a personal question, which is, this is a big event. It's going to go for a long time. I'm sure the demands on your personal time are endless, but everyone has finite resources. How do you keep going? What are the things that you do to look after yourself as a leader so that you can continue to be out there in the Western Pacific region leading the COVID response? Mm. <laughs> um, first and foremost, uh, we are in the sector serving people. WHO is the organizations to serve the people. And now the entire world is uh, facing a challenge. And I think we shouldn't uh, uh, be, we shouldn't regret uh, later we see today. And what I think is important is to feel 
or think about、uh, the people who you are serving. And that's the key for us to continue to motivate ourselves and then work every day with no regret. But it's actually, you mentioned about me, but it's actually、uh, not me, it's about the team. It's everybody、uh, working in this COVID 19. And I'm trying to really, really connect、uh, our staff and then to remind ourselves、uh, this issue that the、uh, people who we were serving. But of course, also I need to listen to their challenge and also、uh, release、uh, their pressure. But I'm very happy to hear、um, you know, this COVID 19, the virus itself will not disappear quickly. So we need to have a long term perspective how we're going to、uh, respond to these uh, uh, very special situations. Many of our staff、uh, start to see. Again,、uh, you mentioned about this、uh, for the future paper, the discussion we had one year. They see actually a lot of those discussions are in front of us. So, why not、uh, not just see、uh, today as a challenge, but opportunity to grab those,、uh, what we were interested in discussing with the、uh, people or member states, to bring the,、uh, um, you know, our visions into the future where we want it. For example,、uh, when we talk about the, we call it new normal,、uh, we, the bottom line of this new normal is that everybody pays attention to their health and then take actions not just to protect yourself, but to protect your family, your colleagues, and then the vulnerable. And infectious diseases, it's very obvious. But then this can also expand to other diseases, such as your own, let's say, hypertension. The more you pay、uh, attention to your hypertension and stay on the healthier side, you continue to be uh, uh, active participants in the community or the labor market. And you can uh, you know, uh, save the medical expense. And actually, you can also use your money that、uh, you're supposed to save for those kind of risks for other activities. So I think that there's also opportunity in front of us. And、uh, if we do this well, I think、uh, we can bring、uh, our region into the, the, the right future. But again, reality is that everybody's tired. Everybody's <laughs> working so hard. So yeah, I have to、yeah. continue to find a way to、uh, encourage. And I think it's、uh, important also、uh, staff to have a on and off and have a means to release their, their pressure. I'm not quite sure if I'm an- answering to your questions, but、uh, yes, it's a challenge. I have to acknowledge. Yeah. Well, no, thank you for taking the time to share your reflections of leadership in COVID with us today, Dr. Kasai, and for the reminder, actually, that in a mission to serve people, as you have stated, the clarity of purpose, as well as looking after one's own health, can sustain you in these challenging times. So, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ambassador Williams, or in Japanese way, Ambassador、uh, Stephanie. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Dr. Takeshi Kasai, Regional Director for the Western Pacific Office of the World Health Organization. I'm Stephanie Williams, Australia's Ambassador for Regional Health Security. Join me tomorrow for the next interview in our Indo Pacific Health Leaders series with Professor Brendan Murphy, the Secretary of Australia's Department of Health and previously Australia's Chief Medical Officer. Music